0: this is dollars and change a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact brought to you by the wharton social impact initiative
1: welcome to dollars and change i'm katherine klein and i'm delighted today to be speaking with Jean case Jean is a business leader, investor, internet and impact investing trailblazer, and a philanthropist. She is passionate about the power of business and capital to be powerful forces for good, and she wears many hats. She is the CEO of Case Impact Network and the Case Foundation, chair of the National Geographic Society, the author of the book, Be Fearless, and the founder of a new venture called for what it's worth so jean i'm so excited to talk to you welcome you too catherine great to be with you wonderful so it's the uh, end of the semester it's been a hard semester and a hard year for college students and graduate students and i'm i think a lot about where will my students go and you know who is this person i'm seeing today in my classroom and and who will they be You know, 10, 20, 40 years from now. So I'm curious who you were as you reflect back on, you know, your early college years, maybe your high school. You know, would we look back? Do you look back and say, yeah, I saw this path. I could imagine (laughs) this path, or
0: holy moly, I never saw where this would, would go. And where I went yeah go. well that 's interesting right to to think back to that time, I would say it 's some combination. you know I have uh, lived a life and it continues to this day, where I kind of have had a leg in different worlds. I was raised the youngest of four children by a single mom, and so there wasn 't a tremendous amount of economic security in our life. But by day, I had the privilege of going to a private school on full scholarship. So the families that I was surrounded with and my friends were in a very different place, you know, in the world and sort of in uh, societal status that I was. But you know what? I look back and I am so grateful for that because I think that I could see things through a different lens. And I had the benefit of hearing from some of them through life, many of them still close friends today, that they might have seen the world a little differently through the lens I brought as well. So um, I was, I definitely was very aspirational as a young person. My single mom probably told me every day of my life that she expected me to do something meaningful in life um, and that she believed I could do anything I set out to do. So, you know, that set a pretty high bar. Yeah. When someone tells you, you can do anything you want to do. Um, but looking back, I, I do feel like, as I said, there are, there are bits and pieces of where I am now, but in some ways, no one looking at my young life would imagine that I would have truly the opportunities I've been humbled to have.
1: Right, right, right. As I said, I can't wait to see where the the students will will go. And certainly we have that kind of diversity of background in the classroom uh, at Wharton and Penn. And it's it's super important, as you've described. So a few years ago, you published uh, this very successful and uh, influential book called Be Fearless. And the five principles of being fearless uh, you you outlined were, uh, number one, make big bets and make history. Number two, be bold, take risks. Number three, make failure matter. Number four, reach beyond your bubble. And number five, let urgency conquer fear. So I have a few questions for you about this great list. So if you if you had to pick one, which one of them is resonating and inspiring you today? If you look at that list and go like, oh, yeah got to work on that one. Got to remember that one. Oh yeah. I need to hear that one. Even though you wrote it, you wrote them. And so yeah. You got to go like, yeah, that one.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I'm highly influenced by this moment that we're in. And I think by far it's let urgency conquer fear. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see what bold and in some cases, transformational acts are going forward, whether those be in business, whether those be on the NGO front, activism, whatever, that today, I think, is many people letting the urgency of the moment conquer their fears and actually get out of their comfort zone and really commit to a path that maybe, you know, with that sense of urgency, that burning inside, whether it's Anger, whether it's fear, whether it's you know an opportunity driving them, uh, I don't think we'd see some of the things we're seeing today were it not for that sense mm-hmm. of urgency. Mm-hmm. For their specifics
1: you point to, and you look at it and go like, Oh yeah, that you know, I sure. can see this person overcoming
0: fear. Sure. I see the urgency. Sure. Well, you know, I I will say the example I'll use touches a little bit on your first question. You know, I've always been super passionate about working closely with the next gen, and I realize this is your life every day. But particularly, I think, as people are poised to look at their future as they're coming out of college or whatever, they might have in mind that, you know, one path is set for them. But really, the message out of Be Fearless is keep your mind open, keep peeking around corners. Don't feel like because you started down one path, that's necessarily where you're going to end up. And and the example I'll use in Let Urgency Conquer Fear is someone I feel really privileged to call a dear friend who's Jose Andres. You know, he's a celebrity chef, but um, that really is not his uh, known identity today. I think that he is seen as a great humanitarian as he's on the front lines in Ukraine literally on the front lines in Ukraine, feeding refugees, feeding people who are cut off from resources. They have served probably close to 20 million meals now, but he was really someone who was schooled in the world of being a chef. He likes to say he's a He rejects that, you know, chef title. Um, But what he really did was saw a great need. Um, It was first in Haiti following the earthquakes. And he let that urgency conquer his fear that he had of what could I as a simple chef go and do to make a difference. Well, you know, fast forward the tape and literally tens of millions of people have been benefited from him and his team going to the front lines of wildfires, earthquakes, natural disasters of every kind. And now, of course, war. So I think if you would have asked that question of a young Jose Andres, he -hmm. couldn't have imagined in his wildest dreams that he would be having the global impact he's having today.
1: Right. Right. So and another, another one of your principles that intrigues me is make failure matter. <laughs> and I, I wonder if you could talk about what this means and describe a time in, in your life where you made failure matter.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, you're uh, at a great institution And I have no doubt you routinely see young people paralyzed by fear of failure. Failure looms large in our lives. And I think it looms larger if you have some sense that you're on a unique or privileged path. You don't want to screw it up, right? And I think all of us feel that way. But I think the big message out of Be Fearless is that most of the extraordinary things that have taken place and most of the extraordinary people who are responsible for those things are truly a result of failures along Mm. the way, Mm -hmm. where the individuals, instead of, you know, stopping in their tracks and saying it's curtains, it's over for me, you know, dug deep, really tried to learn the lessons of those failures apply them and move on. You know, my favorite saying is Thomas Edison, which is I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 things that won't work. But I think in some lines of work like a lab, we really get the importance of failure because that's how we perfect an idea mm-hmm. yep. or make something even stronger or better. But for too many people in their personal lives, they don't understand that that is absolutely as relevant as it is in a lab, that it's often out of failure. Where we find new strengths and you know can be even stronger on a path that we're on, but I mean, make no doubt. Look in my own life, and I wrote extensively about my failures. I feel like most of the great opportunities I had, or any time I felt I personally had the opportunity to break out, it was truly following a moment of failure. But it's hard to pick yourself up and to go through that discipline. The message really is: so many people have you know. There's a chapter in there. Fail in the footsteps of giants, Mm -hmm. right? Talk about Oprah being fired from TV and told she's not right for TV, or Michael Jordan, the great basketball player, you know, cut from his high school basketball uh, team and went and cried in the closet. I could go right to Steve Jobs, who many of us revere for what he contributed to our world and the technology we enjoy today. You know they fired him from the very company he founded and built right, and right. it's an amazing story
1: that's great and you know I think we all need these reminders, so I, I appreciate that uh very much. you were um you know are often described as an impact investing pioneer, and you know we I, we can we can one can debate how old impact investing is i think that the 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 term is usually uh Dated to, I think, 2007, which would make impact investing 15 years old. Right. You you look back at the past 10 or 15 years on the field of impact investing. You know, are you pleased with where it's come? Do you see opportunities that have yet to be achieved? You know, where, I guess, where do you think, wow, we really accomplished something? And where do you look and go, we're not there yet. We need to do better.
0: Yeah, well, here, I guess I have to, you know, fully disclose that how I spend a lot of my days is in the presence of entrepreneurs building the next great companies. They're innovators, and so many of them are embracing an impact focus, you know, product or service going forward or company. So I'm exceedingly encouraged on the future. Um, I think we still suffer somewhat from some uh Some things that I was hoping would be in the market today that aren't, and they apply to ESG and sustainable investing as well, which is standards, measurement, and transparency. You know, I think in the earliest days of impact investing, many of us were voices for you know, you have to have measurement, you have to have standards, and you have to be transparent around what impact you or your company or your product are bringing. We're still not where we need to be on that front with impact investing. And obviously, it's, you know, well understood now that ESG is facing the same challenges. So I would have guessed there might have been a little bit more order in the impact investing um, sort of world, if you will, but that doesn't in any way diminish my excitement for what it can bring. And as I said, every day I wake up to news stories and uh, largely young people, but really people of all ages who just see a different future and want to build companies to have that social impact. And I see it in the investing patterns of the next generation as well, you know, 90 65% Five percent of them have said they're interested in socially responsible investing about 63% of them have said, you know, they really want to invest in a way that is tied to social issues that they care about. This generation. Uh, can have such a powerful impact on the development of both impact investing and ESG. And I'm very encouraged by that.
1: I wanna continue for a moment and discuss this, you know, some of the measurement challenges that you've alluded to with regard to impact investing and ESG, environmental, sustainable and governance investing as well. So as a researcher, a professor, I have, I think, you know, just a very intimate, close-up understanding of how incredibly difficult the measurement challenges are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, comparing the company that is, I don't know, you know, employing people in, in a relatively poor country and helping them get their crafts and their products to the market and, you know, the latest cutting-edge technology to you know, do I don't know what, and you know, in the field of just different fields, different scopes, different geographies. Like, wow, incredibly difficult to uh, to measure. And then ESG is is, if anything, probably even worse because we're often trying to describe multiple dimensions of publicly traded companies, you know, and 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 that do not share so much information. Just these are huge challenges of the complexity of measurement that we'd like to distill into a meaningful small set of standards and avoid impact washing and greenwashing. Yeah. So I worry yeah. as a researcher, like, I don't know how we're going to do this, guys. I mean, yes, this is incredibly important. Another set of standards, another set of definitions, I don't think that's going to do it.
0: Yeah, so, it's it's a really fair point. I think you're not alone and sort of yeah. sometimes thinking, can we really get there? You know, I do want to say there are a number of measurement platforms out there. I fundamentally believe, and I have written about this, that e s and g don't necessarily belong together,
1: uh-huh. they are
0: three distinct things, as you point out, environmental, social, and governance and you know there's been some recent research that showed that some of the the companies that score the highest on the environmental front have terrible labor practices right, right. or, you yeah. know, so then of course, some of that gets into the S, which is the social. And so in too many places, what we've seen is a company get glow for a high ESG rating when in fact, it's really one element of those three dimensions where they're strong. So some of the most important work that I see going forward today is being done by George Seraphim, um mm-hmm. at Harvard with all respect to all the really great stuff Orton is doing too, I would say that what George does is he has sort of this plus minus algorithm that he uses, right? Yes. You know, you can get glow if you're really off the charts on environment, but look, if your governance really stinks, that's going to, you know, count against you. And it is tricky because like, let's just take EV vehicles, for instance, you know i think most of us want to embrace an electric vehicle future mm-hmm. but any of the minerals that we need to supply the batteries at scale come from places where it's almost the equivalent of slavery. I mean, it's terrible um, in different places around the world. And as I said, or you can you can peel back the onion and it might look like a really cool kind of sustainable company. And then you look at their board and this happened to me as an investor. There was a wind company that my advisors recommended And, you know, when I took a look at their board, it was, there was no diversity there Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then I peeled back the onion one step further and said, what's the C-suite? Very little diversity there. And, you know, the answer was from the company, well, we're an engineering based company. And as you know, that's mostly white males. And it's like, I know that needs to change. <laughs> and so, but it's a great example of, on the one hand, I want to embrace you know, new yeah. renewables. On the other hand, if I look at a balance of these dimensions we're talking about, it can steer me away from some of the investments. Right. So you, one of your new
1: projects is For What It's Worth, F-W-I-W. Yeah. So a weekly newsletter, who are you trying to reach? Why this newsletter? What is, what is for what it's worth?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, for us, it's a lot more than a project. It's a business we've stood up. So it's truly a a startup business and I'm exceedingly committed to it. And what's behind it? I'll tell you what's behind it. We did the largest study of uh, millennials, a 10-year study, and their attitudes and behaviors towards social good. And what we saw very early was what most of us know now, very conscious consumers very conscious workers wanting to basically go to companies that were better actors where they could. And very early on, we learned they'd take a pay cut to do that. So what became clear in the earliest days is that generation was beginning to mature was they were idealistic like all young people, but they were very serious about turning their idealism into action. And of course we see this today with millennials and Gen Z. And what's happened since we started that study is they have grown to emerge as the largest workforce in American history. They are making more and saving more than any young generation before them. They're investing more and they're investing earlier. But here's the rub. They're really committed, as we already said, you know, to this area, whether it's ESG, impact, or sustainable. Super committed, have made it very clear they want to use their capital for good as they now have assets that they're starting to deploy. But they lack the knowledge and the confidence to jump into this space. And you know what I love about the next generation is they'll be authentic enough to say I lack the knowledge and confidence but it turns out people my age lack the knowledge and the confidence in this new space too they're just not so quick to own up to that so I really saw a great need in the marketplace and we decided to fill that gap and so it is a free weekly newsletter for those that want to keep it light it's a five minute read but it's uh, chocked with resources and links if you want to go deeper and Catherine I can't can't tell you how really great it's felt to get the feedback we've received from young people, you know, saying, gosh, I wish I would have had this, you know, before I invested my first dollar or because it is a complex marketplace. And as you pointed out, look at look at you and your cred, right? Right. And and, you know, I've spent a long time in my career on this, too. This stuff is hard. And so our commitment is to make it easy to understand. We use a little SAS. We try to keep it, you know, light and conversational or conversational. And I, I don't like this term, but you know, there's no other better term for it than dumb it down a little bit. So mm-hmm, no matter mm-hmm. where you're coming from, you can grasp it. The, the world of finance is filled with way too much complicated language. And we don't do anyone a service when they're getting started to fill them with acronyms and complicated terms. We need to make it real, and that's what we try to do every week. Right. So um, it's fw or for what it's worth.co. Co. Um, and we just love any of your listeners to check it out. And I would invite them to send us some word about what they think. Are we hitting the mark?
1: Fantastic. Oh, it's a great. It's a great resource. And you know, I think uh, it's funny you use the term "dumb it down." I mean, sometimes I'll refer to channeling my inner dummy, which is a little bit of just what you you know you described. It's just like owning up to what I don't know. Right. But also dumbing it down, uh, I teach in the classroom. I don't say this in these words, but that's what good writing is. Good writing is accessible and clear. You know, if you're if 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 your writing isn't clear to people who you want to inform, then it's bad writing. So kudos. You know, as you know, as we chatted about a little bit before, pushing record, you know, there's just a lot going on in the world, whether we look at, you know, Ukraine, the economy at the time of this recording, we we're we're, we're Two days after the Buffalo uh, racially motivated hate crime and, and mass killing, how do you think about you know how do these events in the larger world impact your thinking? Now, obviously, there's a huge need for being fearless, and um, you know, as you said, letting urgency conquer fear. But I wonder if there are other ways in which these concerns and you, you know you, you think about young people or others responding to what's going on in the world today
0: yeah so you know one of the principles in be fearless is reach beyond your bubble Mm -hmm. and the principle of that is embrace people that are different than you are and it's easy to understand how this might be applied in a business context Mm -hmm. right this is part of what the whole diversity thing is about is people with different backgrounds and perspectives will bring different ideas to the table but the truth is even in a personal life if you surround yourself with people and i don't even mean surround yourself if you make sure to make time for people who come from a different background who think differently it really is quite amazing you know the idea of it is that it would broaden your perspective and maybe you know um You know, help you avoid those blind spots that can get you in trouble in life because you just don't understand. So, as I said earlier in our conversation, I keep a leg in a couple of worlds. And, you know, through this time of great uh, disruption and labor issues, and, you know, the whole question of what do workers want and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. almost the growing divide between workers and those that employ them, you know, I have a number of people in my life who work in jobs that I would normally not you know, have sort of a, a lens of, and it has helped me tremendously, Catherine, because, you know, I bring a certain point of view, but sometimes after at least mentally walking in their shoes for a little bit, I have to step back and say, well, wait a minute here, no. I'm going to get that now. And I just think we don't spend enough time, it's too easy anymore to get caught up in our bubble and not even realize it's a bubble. Right. And as you know, I spent my, A couple of decades early in my career is working in tech and really bringing the first internet company forward, AOL, and at one time we carried 50% of the nation's internet traffic. You know, I'm horrified to see what we thought was really a technology that could democratize Mm -hmm, and bring mm -hmm. people together has now, of course, become a big part of what is dividing people. So I don't know. I you know I look at Twitter every day. I'm active on Twitter, and I've been having real conversations about maybe just getting off the platform because it's Mm -hmm. discouraging to me. And as much as I try not to have a bubble, yeah, um, you know I think it's hard not to, and um, it's not consistent with really my desire to hear from a lot of different sides.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, that all of what you're describing really resonates with me. And and it's interesting as you bring up Twitter and listening to you. You know, often when I think diversity and, you know, reaching beyond your bubble, we'll think of gender diversity, racial diversity, ethnic diversity. And I'm, I'm just struck as, and, and maybe this is probably related to your comments about Twitter, just like political diversity, um, yes. thought diversity right. is, it can be the most difficult barrier to overcome. Yeah. Uh, For, you know, for many of us, I think. No
0: question. And, you know, even the role of place, Mm -hmm. you know, we, when we work on um, ESG or diversity, um, you know, we refer to it more broadly as race, place, and gender, because Mm -hmm. there definitely is a view now in America, if you live in one part of the country, and you're looking at people in a different part, you bring all kinds of bias. Um, And, you know, in many cases, it's really unfair. So my husband and I set out routinely um, sometimes for a lot, much longer time in the summer months in our RV. And we specifically travel to areas where we assume how people are looking at the world or how they're living life is going to be quite different than ours. And it probably is our favorite way to spend time out of work because we always come back feeling so enriched by it. But I think people aren't making time for those kind of investments, specifically to have civil conversation Mm -hmm. with someone Mm -hmm. that, you know, I mean, think about the issues right now, whether they be race, Roe v. Wade is another one right now. To understand each other, it can't be, you know, what we do see on Twitter, which is name calling and vitriol. And we need to find a way to have some of these uh, more uh, civil discourses and they seem to be missing in our society. Today. Yes. Yes. Um, so we should wrap up. Let me
1: ask you, um, one or two more questions. One looking at you and all of you, you've done and are doing, I just think, wow, she gets an incredible amount done. You know, she plays a lot of roles. She gets a lot done. Now, obviously you have a team, you have resources and still Controlling for, as we would say, statistically, controlling for those things, you still get a lot done. Um, Do you have advice for others on getting things done? Um, Should they, you know, get strategies, tools you use that you think allow you to span multiple roles effectively?
0: Well, you know, I'm really influenced by a couple of things. Um, As you know, I serve as chairman of National Geographic Society. Right. It's the, there's such fearlessness in the DNA of that 134-year-old organization. And we are committed. Uh, we call ourselves a 134-year-old startup because we're willing to disrupt ourselves and pivot and embrace new things mm-hmm. and take risks. And you know, I just feel very fortunate as a student of history to sort of get it that actually it's okay to pursue some things you don't know well. You know, Brian Chesky, one of the founders of Airbnb, has said that his strategic advantage when they got started was precisely what he did not know. Mm. And so I've really tried to embrace a way of living that isn't daunted by what I don't know. And I don't mean that arrogantly in any way. It is just much more a willingness to jump in and to learn and to try new things. And, you know, that's what we've been doing at National Geographic for 134 years. And I just would really encourage anyone listening to this to think about, because chances are, and I write a lot about this in the book, chances are there's some things you've seen or you've witnessed, and, you know, something inside of you said somebody should do something about that. Mm -hmm. Well, what if that somebody is you? And don't be daunted by what you don't necessarily understand. Jump in, get started, try things. That's really the story of my life. And I've just been very, very fortunate that in some cases, things have worked well. Right.
1: I was going to ask you as a final question, if you had parting words of wisdom for our listeners, but you may have anticipated that question and just, you know, and and, and just provided those fantastic words of wisdom.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the essence of what we have talked about is really be fearless, which is not the absence of fear, but the ability to look that fear in the eye, whether it's failure or whether it is a big bet you want to go make um, and commit to move forward.
1: Yeah fantastic. Thank you so much for for being with us, Jean. It was great to talk with you.
0: Well, thanks for all you do, Catherine, and and thanks for having me with you today. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.